Good evening. It's our pleasure tonight to welcome back with us Mr. Walt Lever. Uh, he has spoken here many times and it has been enjoyable to hear him and we're glad to have him here tonight. Mr. Lever has been the pulpit minister at Brentwood Hills since 1997 and he also serves as the vice president of university relations uh, at Lipscomb University and he is the father of our former member, uh, Laura Roselle, and I was just checking on them and things are going well for them in Knoxville. So we're very glad to have Mr. Lever with us here tonight. Wow. I am so thankful to be here. What an inspiration. How exciting it is to be with uh, so many brothers and sisters on a Sunday evening. And when David called me sometime back and asked if I would come, I didn't even have to look at the calendar. I said, if I would be honored to come. I'm delighted to come. Even though my kids are no longer here, I still want to come. And, uh, but, uh, but because I tell you, the, the reputation that you have, the encouragement that you provide for other congregations, the example that you're setting uh, really is probably a lot more significant than you even realize. I know at Brentwood Hills, uh, Jonathan Seaman and others stay in close contact with your ministerial staff and uh, we steal ideas from you all. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's really a blessing and an honor to be here tonight. And I'm very thankful. I, the, after David called, the first call I made was to Laura, who lives in Knoxville. And I just wanted to at least kind of rub it in to her that I had been invited to come to her, her home, what she still would call her home church, because they love this congregation so much. And uh, the, I think the hardest part about leaving Nashville for them was not leaving family, except leaving their church family. And I think that they, because they were really sad about, uh, and we were sad for them too, because we, we have been so uh, thankful for the impact that it has on their lives, that this congregation has had on their lives as I know it has on all of your lives. And, and then to come in tonight and be surprised when Ford, Cody, and Allie come up and practically tackle me in the hallway out there. I had no idea that they were going to be here. And they surprised me, and, and Cody even fixed my name tag, and I was grateful for that. So uh, this is a, a special treat. But then uh, I, could, I could spend more time than I, than I will just talking about different people here, but uh, not only is David, but, uh, but also Philip is a, is a good friend. He and Laura, Laura actually, she and her family came to Brentwood Hills when she was practically grown, but we still claim her. And, uh, and so we are very proud of them and thankful for the work and to see all of these young people. I mean, it's just, uh, what an inspiration. I really, I was, I've kind of hurt for Philip a few minutes ago. I thought he's dug a hole with that song he's not going to be able to climb out of. He'd gone through all those different parts. I'd never heard that before, ever. And I thought, I don't know that this is going to work. And I said, oh, man, but it worked fabulously. And I will owe me of little faith. I was so proud. I, and I just, I'm going to have to get a tape of it because there's no way I can remember all those different parts. But that's a, that's a, a song we're going to steal and, and sing soon, hopefully, over at Brentwood Hills. I'm going to tell our song leader, Andrew Leeper, who, who also knows uh, Philip and Laura, to uh, get in touch with them and let's, let's learn that song. But, but it's really a blessing to be here tonight. Now, David asked me, he said, uh, we want you to talk about listening to Jesus about you. That's the title he gave me. And so I thought about that, and, and let me, uh, I guess this works for me to stand out here. 
uh, here's what I want to ask you to do. What I'm going to do tonight is very simple. Anybody in this audience could do what I'm getting ready to do. I want you to take your Bibles, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to open our Bibles to several different places. And if you are sitting near someone who doesn't have a Bible, maybe you all can share, because I'd like for you to see this with your own eyes. We're going to look at, 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 at a number of different passages, and almost every one of them, not every one of them, but almost every one of them, will be a direct, a direct quote from Jesus himself. If you've got a red letter edition, almost everything we're going to read tonight will be in red letters. Not everything, but almost everything. But we want to talk about what Jesus says in his word about us. Now, we could go in a lot of different directions. If we just wanted to talk about what God says about us, then we could go into all the letters of Paul. We could go even into the Old Testament. We could talk about being the apple of, of God's eye. We could talk about being, you know, we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. I mean, on and on and on and on. But tonight we're going to limit it to what Jesus says about us. But before we do that, I want you to look at two passages. First of all, look in the Old Testament, Zechariah. Chapter 3, Zechariah chapter 3. And as you find that, over near the end of the Old Testament, we're going to read a, a, a story that may be familiar to some of you, and it probably is not familiar to a lot of us. But it comes from the third chapter, the first couple of verses will be all that we're going to read. But I want you to see what happens to a high priest whose name was Joshua. Not the Joshua that we're most familiar with in the Old Testament, but a, but a high priest who had that same name. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Now you almost can picture a courtroom scene where you've got the angel of the Lord is, is the judge or is, is on the bench. You've got Joshua the high priest who's standing there in front of the angel of the Lord. And then right there in the prosecutor's desk, you've got Satan. And Satan is telling the angel of the Lord all the bad things about this high priest Joshua. Just accusing him, accusing him, accusing him. Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Then the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now, that's all we're going to read out of that passage. You can study it more in detail if you want, but let me just kind of summarize it by saying this. I think we get a good picture here of what Satan tries to do to all of us. Satan wants to fill our minds full with all kinds of garbage and lies about, you know, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't have any purpose for you. You're an accident. You were never meant to be here in the first place. You've made so many mistakes. There is no way you'll ever recover from that. You might as well throw in the towel and give it up. You're, you're done. Satan loves to try to convince us. Turn over to Revelation 12 very quickly. One more passage and then we'll turn to the Gospels. The last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 12. We'll start reading in verse 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. And look at this. Look at how he describes Satan. Satan. 
for the, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. He's described again. He's described this way in Zechariah. He's described again in Revelation 12. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. Never stops. Never ceases. Never takes some time off. Day and night, he is accusing them before God, day and night. But guess what? He's been defeated. He has been hurled down. There is, there is no need for us to listen to Satan's lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. If he's opening his mouth, he's lying. And he is constantly trying to accuse us to, to destroy our, our personal confidence in God. And how... It, for example, I was listening to a, a man who does a lot of work speaking to, to college students, tens of thousands of college students on an annual basis. And his name is Louis Giglio, and he made a statement. He says, when I encounter a, a college student or a young adult who is having a hard time with their faith. They just don't believe in God. They don't think God is important. They don't think God has a, has a, real, you know, a real purpose for their lives. He said almost without exception, what he discovers when he digs down deeper is that they are really reacting that way because they are convinced that they are so bad, they are so immoral, they have made so many mistakes that God could never love them that God could never really have any interest in them. And so, therefore, we might as well throw in the towel. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, Proverbs tells us. And when you are convinced, when Satan has convinced you, you know, you are no good in the eyes of God. You have no purpose in the plan of God. Then you say, why even try? But what we're going to see tonight, and, and all we're going to see tonight is a glimpse even in the Gospels, we're only going to get a glimpse. We're just going to skim the surface. But what we're going to see is that God has some true messages for us to, that will penetrate our hearts and help us to see we are very, very important to God. Now, before we look, we're, we're going to look at two different lists. The first list is things that we really don't want Jesus to say about us. Now, he might, and we're going to see that he said some of these things about some pretty special people, but there's some things that we can avoid. I want you to take your Bible, turn to Matthew 16. You'll know this story. Matthew chapter 16. And let's begin reading in verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You're familiar with that particular stage in the life of Jesus. Peter, now who was Peter? Peter was one of the apostles. Peter's the one who eventually will be the preacher, the speaker, the spokesman on the day of Pentecost, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, now here's something you really don't want Jesus to say to you. He said it to Peter, and you know what? 
He might say it to us under certain circumstances, but we'd like to avoid it if we possibly can. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Satan is using your vocal cords as a mouthpiece. Satan is speaking through you. You are the conduit through which Satan is speaking. Get behind me, Satan. Then he goes on to say, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't want Jesus looking at us and say, hey, Walt, you're a stumbling block. Get behind me, Satan. But he goes on to say, because you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter had allowed himself to get kind of caught up in the natural reaction to some of the things Jesus was saying, and rather than really having enough faith to say, Jesus, you know better than I do what needs to happen. See, sometimes we look at the facts and we get fearful. What we need to do is we need to look at the facts and have faith. We need to look at the facts and say, if we don't understand the facts, we have to believe that God knows better than we do how all of this fits together. Satan had gotten into Peter, he had, and like he might sometimes get in, we get discouraged. We can't do that. We can't try that. We'll be embarrassed. We've got to back off. That'll never happen. You should never try that. That would take too much courage. That would take too much faith. That would take too much risk. But if it's something, you know, Peter, Peter was the one who stepped out of the boat. He had already done it. He had already stepped out of the boat and walked to, the, walked to Jesus on the water, and yet our faith can kind of ebb and it can flow. It can go up, it can go down. It's kind of like the father who, who said to Jesus, Jesus said, do you believe? He says, I believe, but help my what? Help my unbelief. I believe, but there are times that my faith is not nearly as strong as it ought to be. There were times that Peter's faith was not as strong as he wanted it to be, as it could be. Take your Bible, turn over to the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Now, there's a big section here, and we're only going to look at one paragraph. But there's a big section where Jesus, there's a lot of red letters here. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and he describes them with one word, you're a hypocrite. You're an actor. You're pretending like you're something that you're not. You're playing a game. But look at verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. These are things you never want to hear Jesus say about you or about me. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of, dead, of the dead and everything unclean. On the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. We need to be people who are transparent. We need to be people who are genuine. We need to be people who are faithful to the core, not just people who put on a show. And then look at one more. Look over in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. things we don't want Jesus to say about us. Here again, Peter was one of the inner circle of the apostles. Here are the inner circle of his friends, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Nobody was closer to Jesus on earth. And Jesus had gone, uh, and you look at verse 38, Jesus and his disciples were on their way, came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? She's frustrated. She's frustrated with her sister. She's even frustrated with the Lord. Lord, what's wrong with you? You don't care about this? My sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. And then look at, at Jesus, his reaction. Martha, Martha, verse 41. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Really only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Are there times in our lives that we get worried and upset about things that aren't really worth worrying about and getting upset about? And Jesus says, you need to get your priorities straight. I mean, there are times maybe that you need to be anxious or uptight, but, you know, they're probably pretty few and far between because a lot of times the things that we get worried about, we, we don't need to be worried about. And so you, you, you think about these things. These are just a couple of examples of some things that Jesus said about people that we really, we don't want him to say those same things about us. We don't want to be like Peter, a mouthpiece for Satan. We don't want to be fakey and one thing on the outside, another on the inside like the Pharisees, the hypocrites. And we don't want to be like Martha who's all uptight while, while Mary was the one who was doing what really was most important. She was sitting at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. But now let's look at some things that, uh, that we do want Jesus to say about us. Look over in Matthew chapter 5. Things we're glad that Jesus says about us. Matthew chapter 5, we're right at the early part of the Sermon on the Mount. Some very familiar verses here, Matthew chapter 5, and we'll begin reading, I believe, in about verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I mean, salt was a preservative. You think about that story when Abraham was trying to save Sodom where Lot and his family were, and he says, you know, if I can find this many righteous, if I can find this many righteous, if I can find this many righteous. And had there been enough salt in that, in that city, God would have spared it. But he couldn't even find that many, and only Lot and his family were saved, and even his wife died, turned into a pillar of salt. Salt is also something that creates thirst. I wonder sometimes when, when we're around people who don't know much about the Lord, do we make them thirsty to know more? Or do we make them look forward when they don't have to deal with us? Do we have the kind of attitude that causes them, like, like Peter writes about, he says, you need to be ready. He says, in your heart, reverence Christ Jesus as Lord and be ready to give an answer to everyone, to anyone and everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you. He says you may live your life in such a way that the people you go to school with, the people you work with, the people in your neighborhood, they may say, you know what, there's something different about that family. There's something different about this new guy that we've just hired. There's something different about this person that's in our geometry class. He's just got a different attitude. He really seems to care about people. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And oh, do we live in a world that needs light. We live in a world that is filled with so much darkness. I, 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 
I shared a story, we won't go into detail this morning, but this morning at Brentwood Hills, a story about a, a student down at the University of Florida who uh, had no, no interest, no experience, nothing about the Lord at all. No interest at all. Thought people who were interested in Jesus and interested in the Bible, they needed to find something significant. They, she thought that was just ridiculous. But she needed a roommate. She, put, she posted a, a request for a roommate. It turned out that the person that applied for that position, not for that position, but applied to be that roommate, got it. And she was a very dedicated Christian. And all of a sudden, this kind of made this, uh, this young girl, whose name was Ashley, made her nervous. But the story goes that over a period of time, really not a very long period of time, she realized that there was something really different about this person, not at all like the people that, that, that had tried to be very critical to her or be very judgmental to her or be very, you know, just t trying to tell her what to do, but a person who just seemed to, to just really care and to really love and had something special and something unique, unique in the way she and her boyfriend related to each other, completely different from the way Ashley had related to all the boys and all the men in her life. Well, to make a long story short, over a period of time, not because she preached to her, but because she created some thirst. And she caused Ashley to realize there is something really unique, something really special. She became a Christian. And as a result, she died of a car wreck just a few months after that. And so, you know, you, you look back on that and you think, God brought that girl into her life at just the right time. How do we know? that God's not wanting to bring us into people's lives at just the right time and to, and to create some thirst, to shed some light, to help them to see that there is a different way to live our lives. Then you take your Bibles and let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Let's just look at a few passages rather quickly here. Luke chapter 12. I don't know that anybody in this audience is old enough to remember something back in the mid-70s. There was a television show on Channel 4 called The Noon Show. The host was Teddy Bard. Does anybody remember that show? Anybody? Oh, there are a few of us. Okay, a few of us. Teddy Bard really was, uh, he had taken over for Judd Collins, I think. Judd Collins had started The Noon Show, and then Teddy Bard became the host. And back in the mid-70s, back in 1976, I was the new preacher. I was about 24 years old. I was the new preacher for the Antioch Church of Christ. And I decided I would just call up Channel 4 and say, because they had a, pr a preacher of the week. Who, and Judd Collins had started that. I don't think Teddy Bart would have ever started that. He just continued it. And they had a preacher of the week who would spend about five to ten minutes every day just kind of having an interview with the host, Teddy Barton in this case. And so I just said, hey, you know, I just wanted you to know, if, if you're ever looking for a, a preacher, then, you know, I would be honored to be on that. Well, lo and behold, they call me, schedule me. Well, I'm telling you what, I was scared out of my mind because Teddy Bart, first of all, he, he did like a, most good interviewers will do. He doesn't give you a clue what you're going to talk about. You don't have an idea. Secondly, he, he doesn't have a Christian faith. Teddy Bart it has a Jewish faith. And he's been known to, to be kind of tough on those interviews. 
And I'm telling you, I was scared out of my mind, especially after I, had, after I started watching very closely and I saw him really ask some pretty tough questions to some people. But someone pointed out this passage in Luke chapter 12, verse 11. Now, he says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, and he's talking to his disciples when they're going to go out and talk to people. And I would read this passage, I practically, you know, just, just quoted this passage over and over again on my way out to Channel 4 for those interviews every day, scared out of my mind. He says, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time, at that moment, what you should say. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, guess what? We won't study, we won't prepare. I believe that this is what, this is kind of like Nehemiah when he had been praying and fasting for, and for four months wondering what do I need to do about the, the wall situation in Jerusalem and then all of a sudden the king says, hey, Nehemiah, what's on your heart today? You seem to be downcast. And all of a sudden he sends up a quick prayer, God guide my thoughts, but guess what? He had put four months into preparation but then he gives a quick little prayer. But, but if, if right then, see, we don't need to wait till the last moment and say, oh, God, guess what? I'm facing a crisis. I'd like to introduce myself. Now I've got a bunch of questions I need to ask you. No, what we need to do is we need to have that constant communication with God, but realize that when the moment comes, you can be totally prepared and still scared to death because guess what? Suppose I go blank. He says, relax. If you're walking with me and you get into a situation and you and I run into this all the time, where you'll have people who wonder, you know, suppose they ask me a question at work, how am I going to, just relax. You, you do your study, do your prayer, have your walk with God. But he says, when the time comes for you to represent me, I'm going to be right there with you every step of the way. Now, look over in the 22nd verse of the same chapter, Luke 12, verse 22. Jesus says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, the birds. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And then look at this, and how much more valuable, and how much more valuable you are than birds. He says, you, are, you don't need to worry. God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the flowers. God's going to take care of you. Turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is not in red letters, but this is, uh, this is a passage that helps us to see what God thinks about us, what Jesus thinks about us. To all, verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the reason that Paul later can write, we are, we're not only children of God, we're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We are going to inherit We'll be there at the reading of the will. He says, you know what? And guess what? What are you going to inherit? You are a joint heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Look over in John 14. Very familiar passage. Let not your hearts be troubled. He starts off in the first verse. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if that were not so, he says, verse 2, would I have told you? If this were not true, would I have told you? that I am going there to prepare a place for you? He says, you don't have to worry not only about what's happening in this world, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the next world. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He, it took him six days to create the world. 
Six days to create the universe. But you know what? He's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. No wonder it says the eye is not seen, the ear is not heard, the mind of man has never imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Look over in chapter 15 of John. Look at verse 5. I am the vine and what are we? You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So he says we are the branches attached to the vine. And the branches are the are the the way that the fruit, the fruit is produced. Look at verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Those are the words of Jesus, talking to the what, what can happen in our lives. Look at verse 15. I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. We're branches, we're friends, and then look at verse 16. You did not choose me. Hey, you did not choose me. You're not here because, you know, we said, hey, I, I'm going I'm to reach out to Jesus. No, he says, I reached out to you first. Before you were even born, he reached out to you. While you were sinners, he died for you. While we had no hope whatsoever, Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. He says, you've got all kinds, all kinds of reasons why God has you here on this earth. He has appointed you, and he wants you to bear fruit that will last. Look over in Acts chapter 1. We're almost done. Acts chapter 1, Jesus had been crucified. He had been raised from the dead. He had appeared to his disciples over a period of time, and now it's, now it's time for him to go into heaven. He's going to ascend into heaven. But he's speaking to, they, they gathered around him in verse 6. Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time to Israel? He said to them in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You have a story to tell. You are salt. You are light. You are a branch. You have fruit to bear. You have been chosen. You have been appointed. You are not here by accident. You have a purpose. You have a reason to be here. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then let's close with one more. Turn back to Matthew 25. When we think about all the things that Jesus might say about us, nothing's more important than this. It's in red letters. It's the words of Jesus. It's actually told in the midst of a parable. It's the parable of the talents. It's the, it's the words of the master who has entrusted some of his servants with various amounts of talents 
And two of them are very faithful. God wants us to be faithful servants. He wants us to use wisely what he's entrusted to us. And in verse 21 and in verse 23, it's exactly the same wording. But it's what all of us want Jesus to say to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the reason that even tonight we're going to sing an invitation song. It may be that there is a person here, maybe several people, who are ready to confess your faith in Christ and be baptized into Christ. Maybe you're coming with a prayer request. Maybe you're coming with another special need. But you know, the Lord, he loves you. He's created you. He's called you. He's appointed you. He's commissioned you. He has a reason for you to be here. But the first thing we have to do is put our lives in his hands. If that's what you need to do tonight, he invites you while we stand and sing together.